I want to share nine things with you for this coming year, things that might encourage you and help you in certain areas of your life. The very first thing is that I want to encourage you is to obey the great commandment. Now, there's a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and the difference is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. The cross is the hermeneutic filter between the old and the new. Everything in the old must go through the cross. At the cross, some things are changed. At the cross, some things, are, some things fall away. At the cross, some things stay the same. They go through the cross. Under the new covenant, they stay the same. So the cross of Jesus is the hermeneutic filter. Under the Old Testament, God gave them many commandments, laws that they had to live by, but they couldn't live by those laws because the Bible says if you uh, break one law, you're guilty of breaking all the laws. And so here in the New Testament, Jesus was asked this question. He's, a man says, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus said to them, saying, What do you say about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, The son of David. I want to encourage you this morning, for the most important thing in our lives is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind. What is true worship? True worship is people coming together loving the Lord. We need to love the Lord with all of our hearts. Now, it's a tremendous challenge because uh, there are so many other things that come and draw our attention, other things in life that we fall in love with. But the Bible says that in the last days, the love of many shall grow cold. Many will fall away. In the book of Revelation, the Lord Jesus comes to the churches. He commends the one church. And then he says, I've got this one thing against you, that you've left your first love. We as Christians need to be very careful as we go through life and experience the experiences of life that we easily fall out of love with the Lord. Now, you know that when you fall in love with somebody, uh, there are some important things that happen in your life. For instance, when I fell in love with my wife, Mary Ann, I, I wanted to know more about her. Not only that, but I always wanted to be with her. I couldn't wait for the workday to come to an end so that I can get to her house. I wanted to be with her. And then also, I wanted to do things to please her. How much more should we as the children of God do that to the Lord? We should want to know more about Him. That's why Paul the Apostle says that I may know Him. He says the most important thing in my life is to know Him. Not, not just to have the knowledge of Him, but to know Him. To have an intimate relationship with Him. He says I count everything but loss. Everything that I've accomplished. Everything that I've done. It's not worthy. It's not even near to the fact that I want to know Him. Then he says in the fellowship of His suffering and the power of His resurrection. In other words, it doesn't matter what I go through. It doesn't matter what I experience in life. I want to maintain my knowledge of him and my love for him. And then another place he says, it is the love of Christ that compels me. It's the love of Christ that, 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 that 
compels me to do things. And so Paul understood loving the Lord. And through all the storms of life, through all the difficulties, he maintained his relationship with the Lord, and he was in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that is a very important commandment, that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, our mind, and our strength, and that we love one another as we love ourselves. Now, that should be the very foundation or the launching pad of every ministry. If you're functioning in a ministry in a church, or you're outside in the world and you're not really functioning here, but you're witnessing there and, and, and telling other people about Christ, the very thing that drives you, the very thing that motion compels you should be your love for Christ. In other words, all of our ministry must flow from a, a relationship with the Lord. I preach because I love the Lord. I would have been out of this long time ago. I wouldn't have been able to manage the many things that we have to go through. But because when I got born again, he, he lifted me up and I fell in love with the Lord. And I want to maintain that love till the very end. I want to, people to know that I love the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not perfect. I'm not the best. None of, none of those things. But what, what is real about me is I love the Lord. And I want to encourage you this morning, every single one of you, we need to fall in love with the Lord again. Obey the great commandment. And that means God comes first and everything else second. Not only love the Lord our God, but also to love one another. It's very difficult, but we are able to do it because the Bible says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So I can love somebody who doesn't love me. Many people have insulted me and done many things to me in the past, but you know what? I forgive them and I love them. Why? Because I love the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you keep this commandment, if you keep this commandment, loving God, loving your neighbor, there are many things you're not going to do. You're not going to covet your neighbor's wife. You're not going to covet your neighbor's goods. Why? Because you love him and you love God. There's certain things I don't do. There's certain things I can do in the dark and nobody will know. But I don't do it because I love God and I know God is looking upon me. So I want to encourage you, the very first thing in your life, the very thing first before you do anything, every singer, every musician, anyone that participates in the kingdom of God, the launching pad for that ministry must be we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, and our strength. The second one is we must fulfill the Great Commission. Every single one of us is being called by God. There, there is an old saying that people say, well, you know, I went into the ministry because God called me. God has called all of us, every single one. And God may be calling you today. You have not yet responded. But today there's your opportunity to respond to the calling of God. Matthew 18, he said, 11 disciples went into Galilee to the mountain where Jesus appointed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to him, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. Amen. And so there is the Great Commission. Many people think the Great Commission is just for the pastors and everything that happens in our Christian life happens when we gather, come together. That's not true. There are many reasons why we gather. But we are called by the Lord to go. 
Today, many times the church says come, but the Lord says go. Yes, we come for healing. We come for restoration. We come to be encouraged. We come to be built up in the most holy faith. We come together so that God can deal with us, maybe rebuke us and all those kind of things because he's equipping us for the work of the ministry. So we are to go in the Great Commission, and every one of us must go. We are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So wherever you work, wherever you go to college, wherever your family is, there you must let the light shine. Amen? There you must be an example of what it means to be born again. There you must give people hope. They must look at your life. They must see the difference, the change in your life. They must see the fact that you love God with all of your heart, your soul, and your strength. That will have impact upon Him, and that's how we are going to fulfill fulfill the Great Commission. We cannot depend upon the pastors. We cannot depend upon great teachers and men with great charisma. That's never been God's plan. God has called all of His people to fulfill the Great Commission. I pray that this coming year, you will make a difference wherever you are. There are places and people that you are going to meet, that maybe you even work with, that no pastor and no, no one else is going to reach. you the only one. And so there, you've got to let your life Son. We're the salt of the event. Salt purifies. I believe this coming year when we see things around us uh, getting worse and worse, the Bible says where iniquity abounds, grace much more abounds. And you and I are people who can share the grace of God with people all around us. There are people who are defeated. They are broken. They don't know which way to turn. They are without hope because the world is in a terrible mess at the moment. But we thank God this morning that we know the solution to the problems of life. We know Him who's able to transform and change and make us new creatures, and His name is Jesus. Wherever you go, be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. The third thing that I want to share with you this morning, it, it is a great commission uh, that we must obey. We must fulfill that great commission, but also we need power. We need power. And we cannot get away from the biblical teaching of authority and power in a believer's life. Jesus came, he took on a, a human form, and he became a man just like us. Jesus was subject to everything that you and I are subject to. And the first 30 years of his life, he never performed a miracle. He was an ordinary man. But when he got baptized by John the Baptist in, in the River Jordan, it says the Holy Spirit descended upon him like in the form of a dove. And it was at that moment when the Spirit of God came upon Jesus that He anointed Jesus to do the work that the Father had called Him to do. And if Jesus needed the power of the Holy Spirit to fulfill the purposes of God or the will of God, how much more you and I? We are weak. We cannot do what God has called us to do. We, it, it's, it, it's difficult to witness. It's difficult to speak to people about Christ. Sometimes you're fearful and you don't know what they think about you. And we've got all these issues. That's why it is so important that we are all filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says on the day of Pentecost, those fishermen and carpenters came together because Jesus told them to wait. You're going to receive power from an eye. The Holy Spirit came upon them, and from that moment on, there was a change, not only in their city and the cities around them, but a change throughout the world. People who are filled with the Holy Spirit do make a difference. Now, you know, we read about Stephen. Stephen, the Bible says, was always full of the Holy Spirit. And when Stephen was stoned to death because he was a, a believer in Christ, this is what he said. He said, Lord, don't hold this against him. 
Now, an ordinary man can't do that. When you're getting stoned to death, uh, and, and people are, are like, as the Bible says, they were like wild dogs attacking him. And uh, uh, you, you don't respond to that in a positive way. You get angry because people are doing this to you. But Stephen was able to ask the Lord not to hold it against him. And then the Bible says he looks up into heaven. And, and this Jesus, who ascended into glory, went to sit at the right-hand side of God the Father. But now Stephen, one man, sees Jesus standing. Why did Jesus stand? I believe he stood to receive Stephen into his presence. You see, Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul the Apostle went through tremendous storms. In fact, at the end of his life, he says, everybody has forsaken me. They threw him in prison. He, he, all things went wrong in his life, but he was consistent in, in his walk. He was consistent in his relationship with God that at the end he was able to say victoriously, I have finished my course. You see, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I know there's been a lot of uh, mis uh, misunderstanding about the Holy Spirit. And, and for years there have been the Pentecostals and the Charismatics and then the Baptists and all the other people. Uh, those, none of them are in the Bible, by the way. None of them. Not even the Pentecostals. We're not in the Bible. Amen? That's man-made. But, but there has been division because people have an issue with people speaking in tongues. Now, I believe that you get baptized in the Holy You don't speak in tongues in order to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, but rather you're baptized in the Holy Spirit because you are, you will be able to speak in tongues. You see, it's not about speaking in tongues. It's about being a strong witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. What about the young people in school today? When, when, when the world is in such a mess, the, the challenges they are facing, how do they stand strong? How do they stand tall? By being filled with the Spirit. Spirit of God. You remember Peter when he was warming his hands at the fire, a young girl comes and says, hey, I know you. You've been with that man Jesus. The Bible says he actually swore. I don't know him. What a coward. What a wimp. He has a big fisherman challenged by a young girl and he denies the Lord Jesus Christ and Jesus told him that was going to happen. But after the day of Pentecost when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he's a changed man. He stands in front of those thousands of people, and he says to them, he doesn't say, you know, you people are all such nice people, and I just want to come and bring you a nice little message from the Lord that he loves you. He says, no. He says, with your wicked hands, you have crucified the Lord of glory. He, he puts the blame on them, and then he tells them they need to repent. And be baptized, everyone, in the name of Jesus Christ, and they will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And thousands of people respond. And that's when the church of Jesus Christ was birthed. It was birthed when Peter preached that message. A man who was a coward but now filled with the Holy Spirit, he has tremendous boldness. And that's, if you look at Scripture, when Jesus promised them, he said, you're going to receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. That's exactly how it happened. That's exactly what, how, how it happened with those disciples. So whatever Jesus says we know is truth. Amen. Now, you know where they started in Jerusalem? They had to be witnesses in Jerusalem. They're where they live. I find so many people, they say, you know, I want God to send me to China or God to send me to India so I can become a missionary. But they've never been a missionary right in the neighborhood they stay. They want to go across the world. Right there where you are, that's where you live, that's where the difficulties are. It's a difficult thing to be a witness for Jesus Christ among your own family, but that's where you begin. If you get the victory there, nothing is going to stop you. Amen? We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit this coming year. It's something that we need to seek and trust God for. 
Uh, number four, we need to develop firm convictions from Scripture. Uh, many people say, well, I'm, I'm convicted. And, and they say all kinds of things, but it's not based on Scripture. Now, look what it says in Daniel 1 verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Daniel was told that because he's living in Babylon, he was not to eat, or not only Daniel, or all of God's people, they were not to eat food that was offered up to sacrifices. And so Daniel refused. He purposed in his heart that he will not disobey God. He, he purposed in his heart that he will stand strong in his convictions that are based upon the Word of God. Now, I believe they, they then gave Daniel different food, but I believe if they did not give Daniel different food, he still would not have eaten the food that was offered up to idols. Later on, we see Daniel again. So he purposed in his heart. He stood up for his convictions. And, and God is looking for a people today that will stand strong in biblical convictions. That when we are out there where, where there are more, more against us than for us, we will still be able to stand strong in what we believe. We will let people know what we believe, and nothing will sway us, and nothing will cause us to fail the Lord. Now, later on, the King Nebuchadnezzar makes a statue of himself. Now he says, they got to, everybody must bow to the statue. Of course, Daniel understands the commandments. I shall have the Lord thy God. Don't bow to any other idol. And so he refuses to bow. He's cast into the lion's den. And then there were three young Jewish boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those three young boys also refused to bow to the idol that built in the form of Nebuchadnezzar. And so uh, they, they say to the king, king, we will not bow. Our God is able to deliver us. If not, we still will not bow. That is somebody that is strong in their conviction. I know that God can rescue us. I know that God can take us out. His God is almighty. But even if he doesn't come, we still will not defile his word. That's conviction. That's the kind of people God is looking for. Young people will stand up and not be ashamed of what they believe. Now, you know what I've heard people over the years, they say, well, that, that's my conviction. I'm not going to violate my conviction. And you listen to the conviction and it's nonsense. For example, there is a, a, there's a massive religious organization in the world today. They believe that their conviction is the world is flat. Well, they're flat wrong. That's their conviction, but their conviction is wrong. So our convictions must be based on Scripture. People that will not bow the knee to idols. People that will not submit uh, to the pressure that comes upon us. There at your workplace, there's a lot of pressure. People want you to be like them. They can't understand that you're different. And so there is a challenge, and there's someone there that's going to help you. That is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will give us the power and the victory in every situation if we become men and women of strong conviction based upon the Word of God. Amen. Number six, remember that promotion... And favor comes from God. Psalm 50, 75 says, For exaltation comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south. But God is the judge. He puts down one and he exalts another one. Promotion comes from the Lord. Now, if you look at the life of Daniel, the young man, he never connived and schemed and planned his way to get to the top. 
He became very powerful in that land. He became a man of tremendous authority. And he didn't scheme his way up there. He just obeyed the Lord. He fulfilled the purposes of God, and God was the one who came and promoted him. Promotion comes from the Lord. Don't try and scheme your way through life. Don't try and do things that are wrong just to get to the top. Don't do everything in your power just to reach the top. Submit yourself to the Lord. Love Him with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind. Fulfill His will and His purpose, and if there needs to be promotion, it's going to come from the Lord. And when promotion comes from the Lord, nobody can stop it. And so Daniel was a young man that understood that. Number seven, you don't have to be the best. You know, we've got tremendous pressure upon people. Philippians says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem the others better than themselves. How many times do you see that principle in action? How many times do you come across people who say, well, others are better than me? That's not how our society thinks. Our society thinks you've got to be the best. We, grow, we, we, we teach our children, Lush, you've got to be the best in whatever you do. And so we put pressure on people because we're not all going to be the best. And by the way, there's no such thing as the best. There's always somebody or something better. Always. Then you might be the best team this year. Next year you might be number two. You might be the best salesman as people think, but tomorrow there's someone that's going to come and outdo you. I remember watching a, a boxing match one day, and this tremendous young guy had, had a tremendous reputation. He was making a name for himself, uh, and they asked him, what, what is your vision? What do you want to be? He says, I want to be the best in the world in my weight. They're the best. And so they discussed, they said, yeah, he's going to be the best. But just a couple of fights down the road, he got knocked out. There goes the dream. You see, it's not about being the best. All that God requires from us that we do our best. God doesn't worry about who's the best. He wants every one of us to do our best. I do my best in church. I do my best when I preach. We do our best when we sing. We do our best when we serve. Whatever we do, we do our best. Even in the workplace, as a born-again Christian, I do my best. And when I know I am doing my best, there will be peace in my heart. You know, my wife, for 30 years, she's been trying to tell me, slow down preaching. You're too fast. You preach too quick. Slow down. You're too loud. Do and I keep on telling her, I'm doing my best. <laughs> Every now and again, they tell me that. In fact, the last time I preached here, uh, the time was running out, so I had about 15 minutes or 14 minutes, and I got up here, and I wanted to get the whole message, but sometimes, I don't, like this morning, I could stop at number five. It doesn't matter, but I had a message, so I got up here, and I, I went fast, and my granddaughter, who's in a meeting, went and told the mom, he said, Mom, granddad spoke so fast. He says, the, she says, the people were clapping, but he never stopped. He just carried on. <laughs> so my wife would pick me out about that. But listen, let's do our best, wherever you go. We're not competing with one another. You know, people say, which is the best church? Did you know this is a beautiful place? Great pastor, great people in this church. I love this place. Wonderful. But did you know that down the road there might be a little place that's a little bit broken down? Uh, poor people are there, but they're gathering as the church. Do you know that the same Jesus that is here today is over there as well? You see, we're not competing. We're not competing. I, I see a lot of young pastors today competing. They want to be like so-and-so and like so. That's a worldly attitude. 
That's not what should be in the house of God. We're not competing against anybody. We must just do the best we can. God will anoint us. And by the way, it's not your charisma, and it's not your intelligence, and it's not how beautiful stories you can say. And I know many people in our church that love people that can flatter, but that doesn't affect your life. Somebody can come in and flatter you, and you can love him to pieces, and, and you can love the stories, but it doesn't affect your life. Flattery never works. Amen? We need the anointing of the Holy Spirit to take the Word of God and make it a reality in our lives. Number eight, kingdom success is not measured as worldly success. Tremendous pressure on people today to be successful. You know it at your workplace, whatever you're doing, you know there's pressure to be successful. Even in, in, in a sports field today, uh, in sports, there's a tremendous pressure for people to be successful. And unfortunately, that spirit is a worldly spirit, and it's crept into the church, where people in the church now want to be successful in what they're doing. They, and and uh, worldly success is you make a name for yourself, you accumulate a, a, a lot of things, and people will judge your success by uh, the, the, the height you've reached, by the things you've accomplished, and by the things you own. That's how people will judge your success. But in the kingdom of God, it's completely different. Our success is not judged by that. Our success is judged by our faithfulness and commitment to the Lord. Now look at Jesus. Jesus is hanging on the cross. He is stripped naked. He's bleeding. They spat upon him. I mean, if ever there was a picture of someone that was unsuccessful, it was the picture of Jesus. He had nothing. Jesus couldn't point down the road and say, look at that building I put up. He couldn't do any of those things. There he was with just naked. That's all he was. That's all he had. But when you look at it and you begin to understand God's plan and purpose, that was a picture of great success. Because he says, Father, it is finished. The thing which you have sent me to do, I have accomplished it. I believe Jesus, when he said it is finished, he was saying, Father, the will, your purpose that you sent me for, I've accomplished it, it is now finished. But at the same time, I believe it was a challenge to the principalities and the powers and the rulers of darkness and the wickedness in heavenly places. Come and see if you can find anything wrong with my work. The devil could find nothing wrong with it. What happened because Jesus died on the cross? Man and God was reconciled through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. That our God is not a far of God. He's a near God. We can know God. We can walk with God. We can talk with God. God loves us and we love God. All that was made possible because of Jesus' death on the cross. That even though I was the worst sinner, and as I showed you, God had to reach far down to get me and pick me up. God loves me and He changes my life. Why? Because of what Jesus did on the cross. He was successful. What about Paul? Paul uh, Went around, he wrote most of the books in the New Testament. Uh, uh, he preached all around the world. He started churches all, way, all over. The Bible says mighty miracles were done with the hands of Paul the Apostle. But when he comes to the end of his life, in the book of Timothy, he's encouraging Timothy, telling Timothy to be strong in the Lord. He says, everybody has forsaken me. Everybody's walked away from me, and I'm left alone. But the Lord stood by my side. Now, when he comes, he says, I'm finished my course. 
I'm finished the race. I'm finished the purpose that God has sent me to do. I'm finished with it. I completed it. I stuck out to the very end through all the hardship, through all the storms, through all the bitterness, through all the rejection, through all the horrible things that we experience as human beings. I experienced them, but I stayed steadfast in my commitment to the purpose of God. And he says, now I've completed it, and I know there's a reward waiting for me, not only for me, but for all of them who love the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul had nothing else to show for what he did according to the scriptures, but he was absolutely successful. David had a life of up and down. He did some terrible things and he did some great things. But the Bible says in the book of Acts, when the purposes of God were fulfilled in the life of David, in this generation he went to sleep. David finished what God sent him to do. You see, the Lord wants us to be faithful until the end. And then the last one, what we must remember is that the Lord will reward the Lord will reward us. How many times as we as Christians, we do things, we, we, we give of our very best, and we work hard, and we do certain, and nobody seems to appreciate it. There's no rewards. Nobody comes and pats us on the back. Uh, they don't even say thank you sometimes. And, and, and you go through all that kind of stuff. And, and what happens, we're looking at man to reward us. And that's a mistake. What we've got to understand, what the Bible teaches, it is the Lord that will reward Revelation 22, verse 12, it says, he says, behold, and I'm coming quickly. By the way, how many of you know that Jesus is coming back? Only a few of you. Jesus is coming back. And it's the same Jesus that went into heaven that's coming back again. Hallelujah. That's the hope of the church. And so it says, behold, he says, behold, I'm coming quickly. Suddenly, the Lord is going to come. And he says, my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work, according to his work. The Lord will reward us one day. That's why we must be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. One day we'll stand before the Lord Jesus, and he will be the one that will reward us for what we have done. Don't look to the left nor to the right. Don't look at other people to reward you. Put your faith and trust in the Lord. The day is coming when we shall stand at the judgment seat of Christ, and he's going to reward us for what we've done. I want to close with this little illustration. It's an illustration that I heard when I was a, a teenager. I think I was 13 years old. I was already drinking. And I stayed with my brother and sister, and they were Christians. And they played a lot of gospel music. And I found this particular record in the house, and I played it. was a, I think it was Tex Ritter or somebody that, those days. But I was sniffing benzene. I always had a bottle of benzene, and I used to sniff, and I'd get high on it. And so what, when they weren't at home there, I put their gospel music on. I get high on benzene and I, and I boogie with all the music that's going on. Crazy, man. And I remember hearing the story even in, in, in that state, uh, what he says. He says there was an old preacher, a preacher. He went far away to preach and, um, in, a, in a foreign country. And he was there for many, many years. He was very faithful, very committed in what he had done. And so he grew old, as all of us will. He grew old, and time came for him to retire and to come home. And so he came home on a boat, and on the boat there was a celebrity. And everybody was patting the celebrity on the back and wanting to shake his hand and so on. And he says that when the boat pulled in the harbor, there were thousands of people uh, celebrating the homecoming of the celebrity. There were balloons, there was music, people shouting and cheering, uh, waiting for the celebrity to get off the boat and, and welcoming him home. And, and he says, when he looked, there was nobody to meet him. 
Nobody to welcome him home from years in the ministry in a strange land. Nobody. And he says he looked up and he said, Lord, did you forget? And he said, suddenly it felt that the Holy Spirit was saying to him, God was speaking directly, no, my son, I did not forget. But you must remember, you're not home yet. We're not home yet. Amen? Amen. The day of reward is coming. Hallelujah. So for this coming year, let's be faithful. Let's be strong. Let's stand on our convictions. Let's love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and strength. Let's abandon things that hold us back. And let's be the people of God. Let's love God with passion. Let's do the things of God with passion. If you're here this morning and you've never surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus, listen, listen let me close with this. This is God's grace. He saves us. He reached right down to say, I did not deserve it. He saved me. He saved me. I did not deserve it. And then he still says to me, be faithful and I'm going to reward you. That's double grace. Double grace. He saves us when you don't deserve it, and then he's still going to reward us one day. What a God we serve. 